Good evening to each of you. It is good to see all of you here tonight. I trust everybody had a great day serving the Lord, whatever you were doing. I hope you did it with everything that you had, that God was, was with you, and that if you had an opportunity to speak truth into the life of somebody, that you took that opportunity and did that for the Lord. Back when I was probably about 18 years old, um, when I grew up, we lived in Lidditz and Pleasant Valley's in Ephrata. So whenever I went away for the weekend, one of the main roads that I traveled was 222. And for young people, 222 was um, almost like the proving grounds. Um, that's where you went when you wanted to see, you know, what your car was capable of doing. And there was lots of people who drove that way. Even today, when you drive that road, sometimes I'm a little, little scared. Um, I remember my brother-in-law, Earlis, said when he moved back from Grenada, the first time that he got on 222, he almost freaked out because everybody was driving so fast. He said his brain couldn't even keep up with them. Um, but I remember one time uh, I got on to 222, and I was heading south towards, um, towards Brownstown from Ephrata. And for those of you who know the area, um, you understand what I mean. Um, where Sheets is now. Um, I was getting on there, and just as I was coming up the ramp, I was almost ready to merge onto 222. I saw two cars come flying up um, 222, and I don't know how fast they were going. I'm guessing they were going about 90 miles an hour. And I was there, I was 18 years old, and I was coming up right behind them, and my 18-year-old heart really, really wanted to just step on the accelerator and go after them. But in my mind, I remembered that when you're on 222 South, I'm not sure if it's still there or not, there's a connecting strip between North and South, and a lot of times police would sit right there and they would watch traffic. And I was like, oh my, I'm, I'm just going to stay at the speed limit and I'm going to see if there's a police officer there or not. And as I came around the turn, I remember specifically the headlights of the cars lighting up the side of a police cruiser, and I saw his lights come on, and he came right out after one of the cars. I don't know how he picked which one he was going to pull over. He pulled one of them over, and in my, in my mind, I was like, whew, you know, I made the right decision, made the right choice. And it felt kind of good to see somebody else get, get pulled over for speeding, um, now, they say confession is good for the soul, and I have a confession to make tonight. Um, one of my teachers in, in high school said that if you ever get a, a ticket, you should really confess it to your church. So you're not my church, but uh, I'll confess it to you all tonight. Three months ago, I was driving in the city of Lebanon, and I had been working at our house, and I was going to, the, to a, a minister's meeting for examination for the minister ordination for the individual who replaced me at Pleasant Valley. And I had worked a little longer than what I wanted to. And I came out onto um, 10th Street, which is 72 South. And I came up to Lehman Street. And just as I got there, the light turned yellow. And I had like this 
split second to make a decision, am I going to go or am I going to stop? And I went. And as I was going through, I was like, oh, that, yeah, that was, that was hardly, hardly yellow. That was a lot more red than yellow. And uh, so I looked around a little bit, and I was like, I, I think I'm going to be okay. And I went about two blocks, and I looked in my rearview mirror, and sure enough, there were lights in my rearview mirror. And I pulled over, and the police officer came up, and he's like, do you know what I'm pulling you over for? And I was like, yeah. I, I went through that red light back there, and he's like, yeah, it was, it was definitely red. So he took my information, and um, I was sitting there, and I was thinking about the mistake that I had made. It's like, you know, I really, really wasn't in that much of a hurry. I should have really just stopped. Um, I still had enough of time that I was going to get there in plenty of time. So I, I don't know why I made the decision that I did, but I had that split second, and I made that choice. Um, so I got the fine, I got the points, I accepted the punishment because I knew that I was in the wrong. But you know what I've been doing ever since I got stopped for a yellow light violation, red light? I've been watching all the other people. Just the other night, as I was going home from these very meetings, I got to the light in Schaeferstown, and somebody went through on a very, very red light. Like, it was red before their back tires crossed the yellow line. It was, it was really bad. Nobody was around. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was at the very light where I got pulled over, I mean, the one that I violated, and there was a police car sitting there, and there was a car from Florida right in front of me. And guess what he did? He went through a very yellow slash red light. And I looked over because, you know, the police officer right there, and I'm like, <laughs> like, please, like, go pull him over. He didn't move. Then the guy turns right in front of somebody. He made a, he made a, a, a left-hand turn right in front of another car, and they had to slam on the brakes so they didn't hit him. He pulls in. And I'm just watching this because I'm like, this is number two. Like, this is another violation, I'm pretty sure. And the guy goes into wherever he was going, and he turns around, and he pulled out in front of somebody. Somebody else had to slam on the brakes because he pulled out in front of them. And he comes back to the light that he had just gone through on yellow slash red. And the police officer didn't do anything. He just He stayed there. And in my mind, I'm thinking, here, I, mean, I got a $148 fine, and I got three points for going through a red light, and my record was perfectly clean before that. Like, surely this guy should receive some type of punishment for violating or doing the same thing that I did. But he didn't get anything. In our Christian experience, there are times where we can look around us and we look at people who are living lives of sin and we ask the question, like, like where is God at? Like, you look at people and they're, li they're living lives of wickedness and they're prospering. Their lives are really, for some of them, their lives really aren't a mess. There are some decent non-Christian people who live very good lives and sometimes we can 
we're standing there and it's almost like, God, aren't you, aren't you going to do anything? Aren't you going to do anything to these individuals? And we might ask the question, like, this whole Christian experience, like, is it worth it? Is it really worth the decision that I made to follow Christ? Is this, is this really going to pay off? David talked about this in the book of Psalm. Psalm 37, he says in verse 1, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they soon shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither is the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. When we look at the contrast between the wicked and the righteous, we understand the reward that is awaiting those of us who who are living a righteous life. And we understand the destruction that is going to come to those who are living a life of wickedness. And David highlights some of those things right here in these verses. He says, um, the wicked, the evildoer, they shall, shall soon be cut down like the grass. They're going to wither. They're going to go away. And he's encouraging us to delight in the Lord. And he talks about how God is going to give us the desires of, their heart, of our hearts. And he's calling us to trust in Him and to rest in God. And again in verse 9, he talks about the Um, the evildoer being cut off. And he's challenging us to wait on the Lord and to be patient. My question for you tonight is, are you convinced that serving God is the best decision that you can make? Are you convinced that following God with all of your heart is truly the best thing for you. One of the tragedies currently in our country is there are a lot of people who don't even value life itself. Um, I'm not a person who is huge on statistics or anything like that, but from what I read recently, this was during the summer, um, said that the likelihood of somebody in America dying by suicide increased by 33% in the years between 1999 and 2017. Something else that I read this summer said that teen suicide rate right now in America, the rates are at a 20-year high. And the biggest tragedy of that is that of those young people who are taking their lives, the larger percentage of them are males. Young men who are saying that life isn't worth living. As we look at that and we think about the decision that a person would take, or the decision that a person would make 
to take their own life, the question that I ask is, what would lead a person to that point where they would say that my life is no longer worth living? Or my very existence is no longer valuable? What would take them to that place? Let's go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10. And I want to look at what Jesus says about our lives. Matthew 10, verses 29 to 31. It says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them should not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Tonight I want to tell each and every one of you that your life has extreme value. You are very valuable. There really isn't any way that you could put a price tag on the value of your life. If you, somebody would ask you, how much is it worth for, worth for you to stay alive, how could you even put a price tag on that? Jesus said, in these verses, he's talking about a sparrow. And when you look at a sparrow, how many of you, when you see a sparrow, think, you know, that's something that's really, really valuable. If I had a sparrow right here, and I would try to sell it to you, how much would you pay me for it? It's just a common, ordinary sparrow. It really isn't anything special at all. It's just, it's a common bird. But Jesus says that God himself sees each and every one of them. If one of them would fall to the ground, God himself would see it. That's how valuable it is to God. Just one little common sparrow. Jesus says that you are of more value than many sparrows. Your life is worth much more than than a whole flock of sparrows. And if God sees just one of them fall to the ground and die, if you're worth an entire flock, that means that your life has extreme value. And when I look at that, and I look at these verses, and how Jesus is describing this value to us, when you think of that value that your life has, it's only reasonable that you, yourself, would value the life that God has given to you. In the verses that follow these, Jesus says this, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Jesus describes our value, and then he goes and he says how if you are willing to confess me, when you're willing to confess my name before other men, I am willing to confess you before my Father. But if you're saying that your relationship with me isn't worth anything to you, and you're going to stand before men and say, I don't know Jesus Christ, Jesus says, I am not going to confess you before my very Father. You and I, because of our value, because we are made in the image of God, we have, we have value. 
But when we are willing to surrender our lives and serve Christ, understanding that that's the best thing that we can do with our lives, when we're convinced of that, we become so much more valuable in the hand of God. Because God can use our lives in service for Him. And you and I don't need to sense any type of shame when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't have to stand before men and say, yeah, I know Jesus. We can stand before men and boldly say, I know Jesus Christ. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Redeemer. There is no shame in that, and I am convinced of my relationship with Him. When you're convinced about something, it's very difficult for you to have your mind changed. I have a friend who, if I said his name, most of you would probably know who he is. And he's a very um, opinionated person, and when he makes up his mind, his mind is not easily changed. And a couple of years ago, he told me that he was going to go buy a leaf blower. And he said that um, he had recently moved, and his place where he had moved to had lots of trees. And he said, I want a really, really good leaf blower. And he said that he went to the place where they sold leaf blowers, and he said he walked in, and the salesman walked up to him, and he said, Randy, you can never trust a salesman. you got to know what's best for you. And he said that the salesman walked up to him, and he said to the salesman, I want the best leaf blower that you have. And he said the, the salesman took him over to where they had the leaf blowers, and he said he was standing there looking at the leaf blowers, and he said, is this the best one that you have? And the man said, yes, this is the best one that we have out here on the floor. And he said, I knew immediately when he said the, that this was the best one that he, had, that he had out on the floor, that he had one that was even better that was out back somewhere. And so he said, do you have one that's better than these? And he said, yeah, I do, but I typically don't sell them to the, to the residential people. You know, normally it's for people who own you know, lawn care businesses or something like that. It's one of those big backpack ones. And uh, it's kind of big, but, I mean, yeah, it is better than these that I, that I have out here on the floor. And my friend said, that's the one that I want. If that's the one that you sell to your commercial people and it cleans up leaves, that's what I want. When he walked into that store, he understood what, in his mind, he thought was the best product for him. And he was convinced of it. And there wasn't any way that even the salesman who understood the product was going to change his mind. He wanted what he thought was the best thing. When you're convinced about something, your mind is not easily changed and you are not easily swayed. Is that how you view your relationship with Jesus Christ? where you will not be easily persuaded otherwise, and it doesn't matter what people say to you or how people try to change your mind, you understand that this is what's best for me. It doesn't matter if the guy over there is getting away with sin. It doesn't matter how the person over there is living their life. What's important is me right here in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Am I convinced 
that my Christianity, my relationship with Christ, is the absolute best decision that I could possibly make. Let's go to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8. And I'd like to jump in at verse 34. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In the verses that I read from Matthew chapter 10, Jesus continues and he he actually gives these same verses in, in Matthew chapter 10. But I wanted to read them out of Mark because there's a couple of things here that I want to pull out. One of the things that I've talked about throughout the week has been the futility of us pursuing our own passions, our own desires, and our own dreams that we have for our lives. And Jesus compared this to the world and their attempt to save their lives. The world attempts to preserve what they have right here. Did you know that it's possible for you to get your body frozen and stored at a facility in Arizona in hopes that in maybe a hundred or two hundred years or three hundred years, they'll be able to bring you back to life and hopefully till then they'll have discovered how to reverse aging or how to do the the process of reverse aging and they're going to bring you back to life in two or three hundred years. They'll give you this antidote. They'll be able to reverse your age, take you back to being a young person, then you'll get to live all over again. Do you know that they're actually doing this? If you research it on the internet, there's actually a facility. It costs thousands of dollars, but they're willing to do this in an attempt to preserve your existence. The interesting thing is, when I look at how people live and their attempts to save their lives, all of them are futile. Because each of them have an end. And all of them are going to reach that end. And while they're here, they're struggling for an existence. And when I look at their lives, I wouldn't describe their lives as joyous and happy and peaceful. The majority of people on on the planet today, as they struggle to save their life, create more problems and issues than if they would just surrender them. Jesus here is calling us to lose our lives for His sake and for the Gospels in service for Him. Jesus asks the question, what will it profit a man if he should gain the whole world? 
What if a man was to be rich and to be famous, to be popular, to be the idol of all people? What if a man was able to do that? What if he was able to do that? Because if he was going to do that, he would have to sacrifice something else. And Jesus says that if a man would be able to gain all of those things and lose his own soul, what is the purpose? What's the purpose of all of that? And then Jesus asks this question in verse 37. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? If you and I are going to attempt to save our lives, if we're going to attempt to live by the world's principles, and we're going to attempt to gain the world, we're going to have to sacrifice the most important thing about us, the eternal part of us, our very soul. Is your pursuit of Christ the most important thing to you? And are you convinced of that? Are you convinced that your relationship with Christ isn't worth anything else? I was friends with somebody back in high school. Um, He was in the grade above me. And he was someone that I spent a lot of time with. And together we made a lot of poor choices and we got involved in things that we shouldn't have. And it reached a place where both of us were forced to make some hard decisions about our relationship with Christ. Because of some things that we were involved in, both of us were suspended from school for three days, and the school asked us to make some changes in our lives if we were going to come back. And over the time that we were away from school, he called me one day, And we were talking a little bit about everything that had happened, and we were talking mainly about a meeting that we knew we were going to have to have with the school board and some of our teachers and our administrator to see if we would be allowed to come back to school. And we were talking a little bit about it, and I remember telling him, I said, listen, I'm I'm done. Like... I'm not going to go back to that stuff we were in. I'm, I'm just, I'm done. And he told me, he's like, yeah, I, I'm done too. I'm done too. But he's like, I don't want you to tell anybody this, but just in case the school doesn't let me back, I have a couple of things that I'm going to keep that I'm going to use if the school says I can't come back and be re-enrolled. And 
I said, well, that's your choice. Like, you're the one, you have to decide if you're going to do that or not. And both of us were allowed back to school again. And we had limited contact for, he was a, if I remember right, he was a junior and I was a sophomore. And for the rest of that school year, we had limited contact. And through that, both of us started kind of going different directions. And after he graduated from high school, he took a turn where he decided that he was done with Christianity. He was done with the whole following Christ thing. And he got involved in, in drugs. Um, he was arrested for um, possession of drugs and for selling drugs. He actually spent some time in prison. And when I look at his life, which today, he's at a better place than what he was back then. Um, I'm, I can't say where he's at spiritually today. But when I look at the decisions that he made and the choices that he made, I have a lot of regrets in my life. I have regrets that I have to live down, that I wish I, wish I could go back and change. I can't. And I move forward in faith. But there are a lot of other things that he in his life, has to live down. And some of the choices that he made were really, really painful for him. And it cost him a lot. And I'm thankful today that he isn't where he was. But there are people who make that same choice and they never come back. Because I have another friend who I wasn't as close with who at the same time went through the same thing that we did. And he made the choice to never return to Christ. And to this day, he is living in sin. And one of the griefs of my heart is the possibility that some of the things that I may have said or encouraged him to do are what are still holding him in bondage. But as I look at his life, and I look at the choices that he made, he's making a choice where he's saying, this is worth exchanging my soul for. I'm willing to pursue the pleasures of this life, the things of this world, I'm willing to pursue them in exchange for my soul. As we look at the choices that people are making and you and I as Christians looking on, sometimes it would just really be nice to be able to make the decision for them to come back. But God gives us that choice. And you and I have the choice to make. We weigh in the balance. Is my relationship with Christ worth giving up everything that I want for what I will receive? Am I convinced of it? That's our choice. God gives us that opportunity. When you look at the story of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says how Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Daniel was there with his friends, and I'm always amazed 
the strength, the spiritual strength that Daniel and his friends portrayed in light of the situation that they found themselves in. They were far away from anything that was familiar. Far away from any type of authority that would have encouraged them not to eat the king's meat. They were far from it. And these were young men who, in my mind, would seem very vulnerable. But when you look at what Daniel purposed in his heart, Daniel said, I will not defile myself. I will not defile myself with what the king is offering to me. I believe the reason why Daniel was so purposed in his heart was because he was convinced that his relationship with God was more important than giving that up in exchange for acceptance by the king, acceptance by everybody else. Daniel and his friends were willing to put themselves out there because they were convinced that their relationship with God was the best thing for them. Another example is the story of Joseph, again, a young man, far from home, far from his authority figures, far from anything that would have encouraged him to remain pure. We know the story well enough that I don't need to go there and read it. But one of the things that I see in the life of Joseph, we see Potiphar's wife coming to him, and the Bible says that she came to him on a daily basis and offered herself to him. And she didn't just say, hey, Joseph, we should do this together. She was very forthwith with Joseph. And it got to the point where she actually went to him and she grabbed him by his coat. And she said, Joseph, Lie with me. And in that moment, Joseph had a decision to make. Joseph had a split-second decision to make of what he was going to do with his sexual purity. Joseph could have said, there's nobody here. There's nobody in this house She's been hounding me for days, maybe for weeks. I don't know how long the time period was. She's been after me for such a long time. I'm sure everybody knows this. I'm sure everybody else in this house has seen her looking at me this way. I'm sure everybody else understands her, just her, uh, the way that she puts herself out there. I'm sure that everybody's seen it. I'm sure it's not going to be a big deal. Joseph could have said that. But Joseph said, how can I commit this great wickedness before God? And he left in such a hurry that she pulled his coat off and he fled from the house. 
Joseph was convinced in his heart that his moral purity was something that he should guard with everything that he had. He was convinced of that. It didn't matter that everybody else in Egypt was committing fornication, adultery, and who knows what else. They were an ungodly, wicked, immoral society that didn't matter to Joseph. It didn't matter to Joseph that nobody else in his family was anywhere close by. His brothers had just sold him into slavery. I'm afraid if I would have been Joseph, my bitterness and anger at my very brothers would have driven me to do the very thing that Joseph fled from. But Joseph was convinced that his moral purity was important. And he understood that if he gave that up, it would break his relationship with God. And he knew that that was what made him who he was. He was convinced of it. In the book of Judges, chapter 7, we have the story of Achan. And again, a familiar story that we're not going to turn there and read all of the verses. But Achan understood the instructions that God had given to the children of Israel. God had said, when you go into Jericho, and when the walls fall flat, I want you to destroy everything. And I don't want you to take anything out with you. When Achan was there in the ruins of the city, and he was looking over everything that God had done, how God had caused these walls to fall flat, as he was looking over the ruins of the city, he saw something that caught his eye. I said Judges chapter 7, and that's not right. But in the verses where it talks about um, where it talks about Achan, when Joseph was talking with Achan and asking him why he had done it, Achan says, I saw those things and I coveted them. I wanted them. And I took them for myself. Have you ever asked the question, what was Achan going to do with those things? He wasn't going to sell them. He wasn't going to show his friends. He wasn't going to buy anything with it. What was he going to do with it? But he said, I coveted them and I wanted them. And so I took them. And what was the price that Achan paid for his sin? His entire family, everything that they owned, his children were stoned. Their lives were taken. All of it was destroyed. You look at the contrast 
between Daniel and Joseph and how they looked at the opportunity to sin that they had. Examples of two young people who were convinced in their hearts that their relationship with God was more valuable than anything else around them. Achan decided that a couple of things that he took home with him, buried in his tent, in the ground, were more valuable than obeying God. There are three points that I want to leave with you this evening. Your life has value. Your life has extreme value. God has placed each of us here on this earth for a reason. And He has a plan for your life and He wants to use that valuable life. The second thing is, is that you have a choice. You have a choice what you're going to do with that valuable life. The last thing that I want to leave with you is that obedience to God is always the best choice. It's always the best choice. We can look out over the world and we can look at the things that they're doing and we can ask the question, is this really the best thing? But at the end of the day and at the end of our life, I can guarantee you that obedience to God will always be the best choice. Look at the examples of Scripture. They're everywhere. Look at how God blessed the individuals who were willing to say, I will lose my life to serve my Maker. And then look at the individuals who said, yeah, this is worth exchanging my soul for. And look how it played out for them. You and I tonight are called to be convinced that the choice that we've made to serve Christ is the best one. And I want to encourage you in that decision. You have made your choice. Go for it. Jesus said that when you decide to lose your life, you're going to gain it. You're going to gain eternal life. Which is way better than any type of life that's filled with the quote-unquote pleasures of this world. Because none of it will last for eternity. Tonight, be encouraged. Be convinced that your relationship with Christ and your decision to follow Him is the best choice you could have ever made. So tonight, I just want to leave you with that encouragement. Serve Christ with everything that you have. Serve Him with abandon. And I trust that the, God, the blessing of God 
will rest on your life as you go for it and as you give him the best that you possibly can. Thank you for being here tonight. Blessings for coming out again. This time let's all stand and we'll have a closing prayer. God in heaven tonight, we are thankful that we can have a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. The work of Christ on Calvary has done so much for us. And tonight, all we can say is a simple thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross to save us from our sins God, it's easy sometimes to look at the world around us and it seems like people are getting away with things. You know, there's people living in sin. Yet scripture reminds us that their end is sure. They will be cut down. And their end is death. God, there is great blessing in following you. Help us in our hearts to be convinced of that. Thank you for the examples in scripture of individuals who purposed in their hearts to do the right thing, even if it would have been easy for them to fall into sin. God, thank you for their example. And we say thank you, too, for the examples of individuals who walked away from you so we can see the end of the wicked is destruction. God, I pray your blessing would be upon each person here tonight. And I pray that all of us, as we serve you, would not waver from our decision but that we would be convinced that following you is the best thing. And God, help us to move forward. Help us to continue growing. And may your spirit give us direction as we live our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.